wonderful, majestic world around us. It's time for Dear Science. Thanks to MOTAT, the museum inspiring the innovators of tomorrow. Hello, Alan. How are we doing today? Well, that's a, that's a good question, Casper. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I've been made redundant and I had to have emergency eye surgery a couple of weeks ago. So, yeah, things could be better. Not uh, the best news. So if, if there's anybody out there that's got a job for a um, recently redundant professor, I'm all ears. Anyway, um, I guess a happy new year to both you folk and all our regular listeners hope everyone is going well out there so yeah it's going to be another year of more science lots of science absolutely they do science every year <laughs> which is which wow. is a good thing so so you may have to forgive me today because i'm operating with one eye so if i sort of start sort of stuttering and ring and it's meaning i can't read what i've got written here um but let's kick off with aging um, and this mm. is quite a big story, actually, a very, very big story. I'm surprised this hasn't been picked up by the sort of the mainstream media, to coin a phrase. Um, That's targeted directly at me. No. <laughs> Reporter for one news. Don't worry, we're all aging, <laughs> So um, how do we age, I guess, is the question. And can we sort of stop aging? Can we even reverse aging? I've always just done it automatically. Yeah, I never indeed. even Absolutely. thought about it. And that's what basically people have thought up until now, really, that um, aging is inexorable and uh, there's no way back from this. However... There are a bunch of folk at Harvard that think that this might not necessarily be the case, and they've just published their results in the very prestigious journal called Cell um, last week. And in this paper, they have detailed their work, which shows that they have uh, allowed blind mice to regain their eyesight, um, and they've had mice developing smarter, younger brains, and they've had mice uh, get healthier muscle and kidney tissue. And on the other hand, they've also prematurely aged mice as well. Oh. And so what they are saying is that basically aging is not a one direction thing as we think that it is now. And they are proposing that in fact aging is a two way process and that given the right tools that you can make aging go forwards or backwards at will yeah wow. yeah okay so <laughs> that's quite a lot so here, so, so here comes the science in all of this and um so the way that we think aging works at the moment is that uh, it's all to do with your DNA, obviously. And what happens is that over time, um, your DNA essentially just gets old. Um, so you get genetic mutations. And what that does is that that sort of screws up your DNA and it creates a junkyard of damaged cellular tissue. And that damaged cellular tissue then becomes susceptible to degradation and disease and eventually death, the three, the three Ds, if you will, I guess. Um, but, so this guy David Sinclair, who is at Harvard, says no, this isn't the way that he now believes that ageing works. It's not to do with that, it's to do with a loss of information. Wow. Specifically, um, the, the cell's ability to read its original DNA. Okay, so remember DNA and genes and everything, they, they, they're, they're all the instructions as to, you know, what, what to do and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, 
And so basically the cell forgets how to function. If it can't read its own DNA or if it's forgotten how to read its own DNA, then it sort of doesn't, it, it, it basically forgets how to function. So our bodies are like libraries falling apart. Yeah, essentially. And, and what they use, the analogy they use is one of a computer, which was quite nice. And so they're saying that the hardware in the cell is DNA. So that's mm. your big chain of uh, nuclear bases. Um, and... The epigenome is the software. So what's this epigenome thing? The epigenome is made up of things called epigenes, and these mm -hmm. are proteins that basically tell um, the gene what to do, where to do it, and at what time to do it. Okay, so basically, it's you know they, they, these 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 proteins are controlling what's going on in the cell essentially. Now. As your DNA ages, yes, it does become broken. It does become damaged. You know, all of the influences around us, um, you know, the stuff that we eat, the air that we breathe, all of that has an effect mm. on your DNA. And what they propose happens is that um, as your DNA becomes damaged, then these epigenes, instead of solely being there to tell the cell what to do and when to do and blah, 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 they then get involved in um, fixing up the damaged DNA, okay? And then um, what happens is that they can't, after they do this, they can't find their way back to the original position where they then tell... Oh, no, they yeah. get lost. <laughs> exactly, yes, yes. So, and again, they liken this to a corruption of software, okay? So that oh. the software's been corrupted. But Sinclair says, okay, so the body is so amazing that this software, there's actually a copy of the software in... The body okay there's a backup copy of the software and all that you need to do is just reset the system and then everything starts behaving like it was not new not new but about 50 to 75 percent of the age that it was before you rebooted the system so this is wow. akin to the dreaded blue screen of death on windows or whatever where <laughs> you know you just turn it off and turn it on and essentially, that's you know that's what they're saying is happening. So, they're they're comparing this to restarting the computer. Now, the thing is, they they seem to know that there is a backup copy of the software. They don't know what exactly the software is. Okay, um. so they don't know what it is. But what they've shown is that they now know how to reset this, and so they reset it such that the cell goes back to reading the genome correctly rather than incorrectly as it as it was you know and and this and 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 if it's doing that correctly then it's like just a young cell you know that's amazing oh, this is amazing i know this this should be massive i would assume now long-term listeners <laughs> yeah, of yeah, dare yeah, science yeah, yeah. will know that my main job is to remind alan when his topics are breaching into evil mad scientist territory <laughs> i think reverse aging is one of these topics so what does yeah. it take do we need to sacrifice babies to <laughs> become immortal yeah. no seemingly not no no all all of the um, tools that you need are sort of essentially readily available. You just need a few sort of specialised uh, stem-type cells, and away you go, essentially. So, um, what do you reckon? How many years before we can actually see this in practice? Well, well, I guess they're seeing it in practice in, in the mice at the moment. So, um, it's a matter of whether, again, as with many things, whether it scales up to humans or not. And I imagine that 
you know, people would be getting pretty excited about this, but oh my God, think of the ethics. Won't somebody well, but, think of the ethics? But great news yes. for the great news for those with beloved pet mice out there. <laughs> but also Indeed. great news. Do you reckon when will we see it in a spa being able to reverse our wrinkles? Like that's oh, but, what I'm worried about. No, no, but about. they can do that in spas now, isn't that what they say? Mm. <laughs> I choose Don't tell not me to they're believe. lying. No. It's, it's biased. It's not evidence-based. <laughs> I want Indeed. an evidence-based spa. Well, I think you're getting, you know, pretty close with this. To but reverse my age. I think this... <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Don't give me ageing, jeez. <laughs> um, so I think this, yeah, this is potentially massive. Potentially so. massive. And um, it would be well worth keeping an eye on this. And as I say, you know, hopefully now you've heard the story, you kind of wonder why the media haven't picked this up because... Um, you know, I think the, the the way that they explain it using that computer analogy is very nice. And, you know, um, who knows where this is going to go in the future. That's a great idea, Alan. <laughs> That's some amazing science. Might be onto that later this afternoon. Yeah. <laughs> now, there we go. another thing yes. that is meant to, uh, I think, improve your health, maybe not make you immortal, <laughs> eating chocolate. Well, again, depends on which journal you read. Because one day chocolate's good for you, the next day chocolate's bad for you. It's like red wine, okay? It's one day it's good for you, the next day it's bad for you. Do you remember the egg scandal? How everyone was so scared of eggs. (laughs) Now no one's scared of them. Yeah, Yeah, it's because they're all gone. They're off the shelves. (laughs) No, true. (laughs) Yeah, no, that's absolutely right at the moment. Yeah. But um, chocolate, indeed. Now, um, I guess one of the things about chocolate is that wonderful feeling that you get when you pop that piece of chocolate into your mouth and it goes, you know, and Mm -hmm. you think, ooh, that's good. And so a bunch of workers at Leeds University in the UK uh, were wondering why do we get that feel? Why do we get that mouth feel with chocolate? And, silky. And what, yeah, silky, absolutely. You know, silky smooth. Silky smooth. <laughs> so what leads to that is the question that they set out to answer. And they set out to answer this with an artificial tongue, of all things. <laughs> <laughs> Which I just imagined to be a really horrific piece of machinery in some <laughs> laboratory. <laughs> Probably doesn't look like you imagine it would, would be my feeling but um, anyway they, they did some investigations into this and basically the answer all comes down to fat which is probably not surprising in the whole chocolate side of things because we know that there's a fair bit of fat in chocolate which is why you know probably it isn't good for you but some people say it is etc etc <clears throat> so it's all got to do with that the fat and and the lubrication that your saliva and everything is is providing and what they found is that as soon as you pop the piece of chocolate into your mouth, what happens is that you get this layer of fat coating your tongue, coating the inside of your mouth, <laughs> and that's what leads to that lovely smooth mouthfeel. It's all to do with fat. Okay. Would this change for like dark chocolate, which is no? Well, this is this fatty? is in fact what they were doing the experiments on. They were using actually dark chocolate, which wow. yeah, they they are sort of lower fat than your sort of you know big mm. smooth creamy thing. But you still do get that particular mouthfeel with this, and so you might be thinking, okay, big deal. So what? Um, <laughs> what what could this possibly uh, lead to in the future? Well, the answer to that is that they could then make low-fat chocolate because what they have said is that it's the position of the fat in the chocolate that's really important. 
okay? Mm -hmm. So if you can coat the outside of the chocolate with your fat layer... You can still get that great mouthfeel. There we go, and you don't have to have the fat on the inside. We could coat any food with an outside fat layer <laughs> and get a great mouthfeel. Sure, I didn't think of that, but yeah, you're absolutely right. There yes. we go, yeah. an application. <clears throat> So that's what um, they are saying about this, that this could definitely lead to now maybe the production of low-fat chocolate, which still retains that lovely mouthfeel that is peculiar to chocolate. It's all to do not with just fat itself, but it's where the fat is. And if you can put a little in the outside layer, you don't have to have any on the inside, and it'll still give you that lovely creamy, rich, Or you could silky. swill some melted butter around your mouth before you eat. You could do that, yes. I don't <laughs> think that's going to be the best for you, but yeah, or you could dip it in molten butter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> so many applications. <clears throat> so when, I, when I heard tongue covered in a layer of fat, I just straight away thought, no, I'm not, not eating chocolate again. <laughs> <laughs> that's a disgusting image. <laughs> You'll eat chocolate again, come on. You know yeah, you to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, so that's some uh, good news, I guess, from uh, University of Leeds. Two nice. pieces of good news on yeah. Dare Science. There we go. Now, of course, we have to balance that with the bad news, of course. Yes, yes. So we always do. Yes, but yes, indeed. So the final story is all to do with the Large Hadron Collider over on the border mm. of Switzerland and France. And bad news there is that since March 2022, they haven't published a single paper. Now, this thing cost gosh knows how many billions. Ooh, I can't remember, actually. So you're saying they're being lazy? No, no, I'm not saying they're being lazy. Quite the opposite. It's all to do with this damn war. Oh. <clears throat> okay, this Ukraine-Russia war. Makes sense. Now, so the Large Hadron Collider, even though it is situated in the middle of Europe, if you want to call it that, um, you find that the people who are involved in experiments uh, utilising it are from all around the world, okay? So what you find is that um, papers that are put out from work done on the Large Hadron Collider can easily contain maybe 100 different authors, easily. So they're very different from usual scientific papers because there's yeah. a hell of a lot of people involved in all of this. And this is where the problem comes is because... Um, some people have objected to the fact that they uh, have collaborations with Russian and Belarusian um, workers and institutes, okay? So scientists and institutes. And the big question then becomes, how do you recognise them on the paper in an author list or um, a list of places where the, um, the work has been done? Do you do that or do you not? do that? Do they get included or do they not? And basically, nobody can make up their mind as to um, whether or not the Russians and the Belarusians should be excluded from all of this. Mm. And, you know, this is this is a very, very tough one because, um, you know, there are Russian scientists who've been working um, together with the LHC who have signed open letters denouncing the war, and that's a bloody dangerous thing to do. That's you know, very dangerous. Very, very, very dangerous thing to do. Um... You'd like to hope that maybe scientists um, don't agree with Putin and, you know, but even if they don't agree with him, sticking your head above the parapet, you know, is not a way to get career advancement in Russia at the present point in time. So basically what has happened is that since March 2022, 70 papers have been written 
and they've been uploaded to a thing called a preprint service. So what happens in the world of publishing nowadays is that as soon as you've written a paper, uh, and before you send it off to the journal for the journal to um, see whether it's worth publishing or not, you can put it on a publicly accessible thing called a preprint server where um, basically anybody can have a look at it and sort of raise objections or, you know, see if there's anything wrong with it or, or, or whatever. So it's sort of another layer of sort of reviewing and making sure that all the science described is kosher. But they've uploaded these 70 papers to the preprint server, but they haven't put any names on them and they haven't put any institutions on them. Oh, no. So, and you might think, well, okay, so this isn't great, but it's particularly not great for, A, any PhD students who are involved in this work or any postdocs who are involved in this work or any early career researchers who are involved in this work because all three of those rely on publications. That's the international currency of science. Mm -hmm. And if they're going to go on and get good jobs and whatever, then they need publications. And this whole thing is just screwing them up at the moment. So is it deadlocked by the debate over including these names or are these institutes all, like already sanctioned? Well, I believe from what I read that I think two th you have to have a two-thirds majority or something, I think, to um, basically um, say that this is the way that it's going to be. So if you want to include all of the names and stuff like that, you're going to have a two-thirds majority right. saying that, yes, you know, we want this. So my understanding is that they haven't yet got to that and you know this I mean we see daily the, the just the stupidity of the whole situation and war and 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 you know Putin's a freaking war criminal he should be but he you know but we won't go there um, but you know it's things like this the the I guess the unintended consequences or the unforeseen consequences that happen and you know this is this is just a tragedy for science and for the people involved um, so how this is going to be resolved, I don't know. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but to my knowledge, we haven't seen the same sorts of issues with the ISS, which also has yep. Russian yep. Um, yep. scientists yes. on board yep. and that sort of thing. Yep. My understanding is that everything's pretty much gone ahead fine. I believe that's the case too. So, but you know, you make a very, very good point there. Um, mm. and again, um, like, not so long ago, I got asked to review a paper by some Russian authors, and I've got to admit, I had second thoughts. I sort of thought, well, you know, should I be should I be doing this? A bit of a moral quandary. I had a discussion with my colleagues and stuff, and eventually I did. Um, because I guess you don't know the way that people think, the way that people feel or whatever. And, and this is science, and science, God damn it, should be above all this shit. If I can say that word. <laughs> you can. You can. So they haven't been lazy, they've just been at war. Essentially, yes. Yeah. All right. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's good to know. They're so still a, a bit of a downer to finish on, unfortunately. But, um, yeah. Yeah. That's okay. Well, bad luck for science, but good luck for chocolate and good luck for mice. <laughs> so we have somewhat of a balance there. Indeed. Yes. Thanks so much, Alan. Okay. Thank pleasure. You, Alan. That's okay. Well, I didn't know that before. Dear Science, thanks to MOTAT, the museum inspiring the innovators of tomorrow.